Welcome to Friends of the Force. I am your host, Brad Whipple, joined today by Lipstick and Lightsabers. Shannon and Alex, how's it going today? It's good. How are you doing? <laughs> Pretty <What's> good. <laughs> new week, new guests. So I'm always happy to have somebody new on the show, and that's kind of the whole point of this, is to uh, make it collaborative and just meet some new people along the way. So I'm really excited for today's show. Um, for those of you listening, I actually, well, I want to start with, uh, with you guys. Do you want to tell our listeners about your podcast in case they already haven't, haven't already followed you on Twitter or, or listened to you? Yeah. So lipstick and lightsabers was something that started as just a title. And I was like, this needs to be a thing. And Alex and I had been talking for a really long time and I wanted to like figure out a way to like do a podcast together and do something and it kind of just morphed into a place where um, female Star Wars fans or really just like any Star Wars fans who need their voices to be heard could come and it's like a safe place where you can share your Star Wars story, share your experiences. Um, so every Friday we share a Star Wars story from a woman in fandom and then twice, uh, not twice a week, every other week on Tuesdays, Alex and I um, have a little bit of a deeper discussion. We really like to talk about books. We'll talk about, you know, characters, any of that kind of stuff. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's really great. Um, I've listened to, to a few episodes. I just listened to the one with uh, the Lost Stars discussion that you guys had, <laughs> which that book is amazing. Have you guys read the, the man? Ma I don't even know how to say it. Manga? Magna? <laughs> manga edition of it? <laughs> I'm she really good at talking. Part one. Yeah, just part yeah. one. Yeah, was that any good? Um, <laughs> it doesn't, <laughs> it's not as like in depth as the book i definitely prefer the book but the art yeah. is really nice yeah so it's nice to look at story-wise nice. it's yeah. not as meaty as the book so we don't really get into comics too much yeah. I, okay. alex I'm is the comic more reader so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> more so but i wouldn't even call myself a comic reader there there's a lot so it's it's yeah. really hard to keep up with it's, i feel it's that really hard to keep up I mean, it's hard enough for us to keep up with the books. Like, that was, like, one of the first things we did when we started talking was we started reading, like, every canon novel. <laughs> it's just, there were right. so many more than we thought there were. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we could stay on top of it, and then it just becomes overwhelming, and they announce a new one, like, every week. It feels like sometimes you're like, oh, more books. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah we're, like, booked solid with all of the new stuff that's about to come yeah. out. there's, what, yeah. there's six, like, from Thrawn until... Um, the Rise of Skywalker, there's like six novels at least. Yeah. Right. And yeah, that's we, not even counting anything the, for the, the yeah. Mandalorian even, because yeah. I feel like there's going to be even more stuff for that in, in the in Fallen Order. So it's going to be nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Publishing's killing it. I'm excited for the, the Comic-Con panel this week, um, which just kind of speaking of Comic-Con, it's something I want to talk to you guys about real quick before we get into today's main topic, which is sequel uh, themes of the sequel trilogy. So last week we had the big unveiling of the cool Sith Trooper and that's going to be at a Comic-Con panel for Lucasfilm where they're going to showcase a bunch of different screen use troopers including the normal Stormtrooper, uh, some TIE Troopers, Death Trooper, um, Shore Trooper, Biker, all those kinds of people including the new Sith Trooper and when referencing this, uh, the Sith Trooper Madeline Burkett who is the, or Burkett, who is the Lucasfilm archivist said that it has some subtle ties to previous Stormtrooper designs. So I thought the trooper looked really cool. And in terms of the subtle ties to previous models, you can definitely see it in some of the textures on the, on the armor. 
what do you guys, what were your first impressions of the Sith Trooper? And, and are you excited about just having a new uh, addition to the, the Star Wars yeah. Imperials? <laughs> <laughs> we both flipped out because we had just recorded <laughs> our uh, Battlefront, well, our Iden Versio episode, our discussion episode. Mm-hmm. And we talked a lot about the Palpatine's contingency plan. So this just worked its way right into that contingency and it was... It's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, we, we saw these and suddenly, you know, because there was that leaked poster from forever ago that everybody thought was fake because it just looks kind of dumb and it had those red stormtroopers on there. And when they were finally unveiled, like, we've watched the Last Jedi trailer, or not the Last Jedi trailer, the Rise of Skywalker trailer several times and it looks like <laughs> Kylo Ren is marching with uh, <laughs> white stormtroopers. Right. So it's like, if there are red ones... Does that mean Palpatine rebellion? What's going on here? Like, I, I like where this could be going. Yeah, it's really interesting because I, I have the Force Awakens poster hung up right in front of me, actually. And on that theatrical poster, you have at the bottom the the white stormtroopers lined up, kind of how the red stormtroopers were lined up on that leaked poster. So it makes me think of like you're mentioning, like, did we now all of a sudden switch roles where the 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 white stormtroopers are now the good guys fighting alongside Kylo and maybe the resistance even, or, or something like that. Um, and, and Alex, I, I'm glad that you brought up the contingency plan because it's fitting along with the, the color scheme of, of Palpatine and his creepy red robe thing. Uh, I don't even know what the, the name <laughs> of that robot thing is, but it's, it's been mentioned quite a few times through Canon. Yeah, uh, it's terrifying. It's really, I mean, it even just came up in alphabet squadron. Yep. Yeah, so they're they're planting the seeds for that contingency, like every single novel that's coming out. It feels like mm-hmm. anything post Return of the Jedi. So I think that's gonna somehow get tied into uh, this trilogy or some sort of way. So, um, in terms of the actual name Sith Trooper, do you guys, what do you think they serve? I, I've heard some people think like maybe it could be like a Ford sensitive trooper clone thing, or maybe it's just a matter of their guarding Sith. How do you think yeah. that name speaks to their role? I think they're, they're guarding Palpatine. Yeah. I don't think they have any powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I could see them being possibly another clone army, or it could just be, you know, we heard about what is it? Project resurrection in mm-hmm. the battlefront DLC and that is in reference to how they're getting their stormtroopers, but it could be even like a deeper subset of that. Right. And I watched The Force Awakens last night, and there's also the line from Kylo, and he, he snidely remarks at, at Hux, you know, maybe Leader, Sno- Leader Snoke should use a clone army. And I was like, well, JJ put that in there, and now JJ's bringing back this new group of stormtroopers. So maybe that's now going to tie into it. Like Palpatine's realized over the years that stormtroopers just aren't working out when they're recruited and even the first orders now realize that as well because they were pretty much defeated by the smallest group of resistance fighters you could possibly put together and palpatine's just been stirring behind the scenes with this really cool clone army that he's like about to unleash so uh it's super exciting i think alex you brought this up the other day how this could tie into like the prophecy about the sins done to the nameless that we got in a master and apprentice in Mm -hmm. the chosen one prophecy yeah um i forget who i think someone else pointed that out i don't remember who it was there's so many intellectuals on twitter (laughs) everybody's amazing (laughs) yeah 
Because we don't really know what, I mean, it looks like it was, you know, like the younglings or whatever, but they're not necessarily nameless, whereas like the clones mm -hmm. were originally, and if we have like another clone yeah. army or even just the clone troopers in general, you know, like Finn didn't have a name until yeah. Poe named him. It should be interesting. It would make sense, too, that they are clones, I think, yeah. because Finn's just a good example that you bring it up is he defected and they were, mm -hmm. I think, in The Force Awakens, they were like, analyzing his his data and they were saying there's no, but there's been no instances of this occurring before. So it was almost like they tried mm -hmm. to program the Force Order Troopers in some sort of brainwashing way, but it's just not working out. So it, it would make yeah. sense for them to go back to some sort of just nameless group of fighters that they can I almost think of Game of Thrones, which, you know... The, like the uh, the unsullied in a way it almost seems mm -hmm, like they could mm -hmm. they could play that same sort of uh, archetype in Star Wars yeah. just kind of this just throw them out there doesn't matter if they die they're just numbers mm -hmm. who cares they're protecting you know Palpatine yeah. and that's have, their role have you guys read the Phasma comic from last week I haven't gotten Anyone? to it yet mm -hmm. I just I just because put the, it the code goes, in there. it really goes into the troopers being nameless and just being like waste like they're gonna just waste them on really Stark. like stupid stupid things yeah that's like a really it, big part of mm -hmm. like sayana and lost stars too realizing how wasteful the empire yeah. is with lives right and even so it, it follows uh i guess very like mild spoilers for this comic but it follows this one trooper who looks up to Phasma so much and she just wants a name like Phasma because Phasma is like the only trooper that has a name, right? Right. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's actually a really cool premise. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so the, the Sith troopers are going to be really cool. I'm, I'm really excited to, to see how they play into the movie. And I noticed on that Hasbro figure, they had a Viro blade attached as one of the weapons, which pretty obvious hint that they're going to be fighting lightsabers at some point and i just want to see ray go completely badass on them like she did in the throne room again <laughs> give her like warrior cry one more time and just just completely like annihilate everybody which would be sweet alongside kylo obviously as well i, I think at that point maybe he'll be redeemed and he'll be uh he'll be chasing after palpatine so we'll see what happens in december you guys have anything else you want to add to the, the sith trooper discussion oh, i was gonna add on that um the, the messengers are also red mm -hmm. and yes. they're part of the contingency plan. So I think we has, we see a pattern happening right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Palpatine really likes red for some reason. It's just his color. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's the only thing in his wardrobe besides black. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of red, so today's topic is about themes in the sequel trilogy. So I think it's important uh, to not only look at Star Wars films on just as a, a surface level perspective, but it's it's really important every now and then to take a step back and think about the threads that connect Star Wars as an entire saga. Now, within the sequel trilogy itself, I, I think that's been some. It's been part of the discussion, and I think also like with with some people in general, they maybe don't appreciate those themes, which is why when their expectations are let down, or maybe they don't. They don't, they don't have the same look at a film as some other people might when they're actually looking at the thematic um, threads throughout the different films. So that's what we're going to be talking about today and just what we've noticed throughout the sequel trilogy and how that connects with the characters that we've we've come to uh, to appreciate. Now, with the, the color of red, I had actually just thought of this last night and I was putting some of the notes in here, but that's obviously been a huge 
theme of this trilogy, I feel like. And not only with the, the messengers and now the Sith troopers, but, you know, the last Jedi was very red heavy, like with the throne room and crate in general. And I know, you know, red has been a very prominent color in star Wars, even just going back to the, the original trilogy, but it feels like it's been just very prominently featured in yeah. this. And even like Kylo's helmet is being stitched back together with some sort of red substance. So, um, what do you guys think in terms of the just the color red being represented throughout the the sequel trilogy? Does that what do you think that kind of speaks to in terms of the I, the aesthetic of the of the films? For me, I actually I bring it back to Revenge of the Sith and Mustafar a lot, and how that in that movie Palpatine really wins the day. So I think it's it, it's kind of hinting at the return of Palpatine for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think knowing that Palpatine is coming back, you can really see that yeah. red is his color and it's used like as hints. Like even, you know, the Snoke's throne room looks a lot like Palpatine's throne room and that could just be, you know, like it's Star Wars, it rhymes, but <laughs> just the heavy use of red and it's always comes back to Palpatine. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he's... He's the Phantom Menace. He's always the Phantom Menace. He's always the <laughs> shadow ever, over everyone. Yes. Oh, he's terrifying. Speaking of the Phantom Menace, something I want to just think I thought of right now. Did you guys um, at Celebration this year, did you go to the David Collins panel? Uh, no, we didn't. With the Phantom. No. So something he pointed out to me, which is just a fun Palpatine fact here, but the song um, that plays during the final celebration in the Phantom Menace on Naboo the actual song is the is the emperor's theme but in major key minor key one of those the one that's like lighter and more happy mm-hmm. so if you actually listen to that song it's the same exact uh uh theme as the Pal- as palpatine's theme because he's the phantom menace he's lurking there so even though they're celebrating you know the battles won he's there on the the steps with everybody else like plotting basically mm-hmm. so it's just kind of a cool subtle uh subtle nod to him and i think even with snoke and the sequel trilogy there's been some very ominous like themes played for him as well that tie back to palpatine as well so palpatine's definitely going to be heavily involved in this movie and and i don't think they would tease him if you weren't and um even just the color red i was reading some arts and culture thing on google because i wanted to be real fancy and and enlightened here (laughs) but uh they were talking about how you know, during the, the, the olden days, like cardinals would wear red to, to show their God-given right to rule. And even in Chinese philosophy, red was always associated with fire. So going back to what you mentioned about Mustafar being very symbolic of that as well. And um, just it seems like the color red is very just a, a representation of like power and ruling, which I find really interesting. I just I think that's an emphasis with the Sith Troopers that Palpatine's not back just to cause a little more chaos and, and fade into the fade into dust he's here to try to rule again well and it's interesting because star wars has always used red as like their villainous color because you know like that's what you know like the sith use as their lightsabers or like you make your kyber crystal bleed and it bleeds red like all that kind of stuff but you can also see it as like and i always think about this with crate and how it's this salt planet and it's all pristine and white but then underneath it's really harsh and really red and it looks really violent but it's almost like a wound like it itself is mm-hmm. bleeding out because you know like lots of things are red like your insides are red like your heart is red and it's almost like you're being 
exposed. And with the Sith, you know, they're all about that raw passion and like just leaving it all out there in the open. And I think The Last Jedi really explores that, especially in their third act. It's pretty symbolic, too, because that's really the at least the point in the movie where Kylo seems to make a so-called final turn. I still think he's going to come back to the light, but um, it's almost like every move he makes, like more red comes up from the ground. So it's like every single time he like says something or tries to attack Luke, it's like more parts of him are being wounded. Um, and he continues to like bleed and, and, and become something kind of darker than he set out to be. So yeah, I like that you bring that up. That's actually really interesting read on crate and just another reason I think the, the red was featured. Well, and even with that, you know, he was physically wounded in The Force Awakens during that fight, like bleeding out. You even see the snow dri- dripping into the, mm-hmm. uh, into the snow. Right. And then on Crate, like I hadn't thought about that. You could even think about the planet as like Kylo himself is being wounded and being cracked open even more. Because the way Alex and I see it is like, that's not a turn to evil. It even says it in the Star Wars databank that, you know, it didn't feel like a victory. He's truly being broken down and cracked open like this is his lowest point and it's you can only go up from here yeah it's alex did you have anything else that you wanted to add on on that no i i don't think so i agree with what shannon said yeah so so i think we'll see it continue to be to be uh prominently featured in this next movie and i'm excited to see the contrast of the red troopers against whatever is going on possibly in the death star they i think in the picture they showed as the background for that character was the uh, like some sort of insides of a star destroyer or something. So I'm, I'm hoping like maybe once they go inside the remains of the death star, they'll kind of be lined up there, like some sort of guards in like an old Knights way. Um, I think that'd be really, really cool. And I think JJ could frame that pretty brilliantly, like with the cinematography that he does. So um, yeah. Awesome. Well, you know, red, we're moving on from red. Now we're going to go into some other themes uh, Alex and Shannon, do you guys want to kick off uh, this uh, theme of love that we're going to be discussing? Yeah, so um, I think love has been a theme of all of Star Wars in every movie, in in Rogue One and in Solo also, on top of all the saga films. And it's always it's always been family love, it's been romantic love, it's been French, like, like friendship love, and... Um, I think that redemption, which is another core theme, really stems from that unconditional love between all our characters. Yeah, it was, you know, like Anakin said in the, what was it, Attack of the Clones, you know, he's talking about attachment. He says attachment is forbidden, possession is forbidden, compassion, which I would define as unconditional love, is essential to a Jedi's life. So you might say that we are encouraged to love. And that's so fascinating to me. And like Alex and I went down this like huge rabbit hole where it's like unconditional love is what opens the door for redemption. When somebody is able to say, you know, I see you, I see your flaws, I see your sins, but I still choose to love you and I'm still here for you. Like that's what Luke did for Vader and that allowed Vader to come back. It, you know, it could have been there with Padme and Anakin. Anakin was just he couldn't see it at the moment of maybe if Padme had survived, we could have seen a turn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He just, he wasn't paying attention, but it, it truly like allows for some kind of turn. And that's something that I even think we see in 
the final moments before Han Solo dies, like that, you know, plea to his son, yeah. like, I, I, we want you to come home. We want you to come back. We understand what's happened mm-hmm. to you, but we still love you. Right. Yeah. And even Han standing on the bridge, looking at Kylo in the mask and Kylo's th- saying, what do you think if I'll take the mask off? What will you see? And he goes, the face of my son. So even though he's looking at a monster, he still unconditionally loves the person that's beneath the mask, uh, which I think the mask is so powerful as a, as a, as a symbol of just uh, hiding your former self or the remains of who you used to be. And it's, it's so fast. It's so interesting in star Wars to see these characters still like love such a, like a creature in a mask as Ray puts it mm-hmm. um, with, with the unconditional love too. I, with, uh, with Ray, not to say that Ray's unconditional quote unquote love for, for Kylo or just her attachment or emotional connection to him. Um, not to say that, like, you know, she's her, her only purpose in the sequel trilogy is to be that catalyst for Kylo to turn. Because I definitely don't think that yeah. undermines her character at all. Because when you look at Luke, that was, he was the catalyst for Vader, but Luke was still just as important um, in the original trilogy as Vader was. And I think the same can be said for Kylo and, and Rey. So in, when, it, when it comes to, to, to Kylo and Rey, like, what do you guys see as their connection in terms of, of that unconditional love and, and just that? sense of like connection between them i think it goes both ways because of how lonely they both are and regardless if you see that as a romantic connection or not i think at the end of the series you're gonna find them finding some belonging each in each other that they're gonna they're gonna pull from each other and it's not just like a one-way thing Mm -hmm. yeah they're connected in a way that no other character can understand like, other characters can be there for them and be their family, but there's something that just goes a little bit deeper that does kind of set them apart. And, like, Alex is right. Like, regardless if it turns out in the end to be romantic or not, like, I, I do believe that it'll be romantic, but it's you can't deny that that connection is there. And when mm-hmm. it comes to Kylo Ren's redemption, like, it's not just Rey needing to love him unconditionally. It's Han, it's Leia, it's Rey, it's Luke, it's... Ben Solo himself finally, you know, reaching inside of himself and being like, you know what, I can pull through this. Like, it's everything working together. Mm-hmm. I was reading the, I was reading part of the Last Jedi novelization last night, and one passage I thought was kind of interesting in, in terms of, of love between these two characters is, um, it says Ray stared at him, but uh, oh, this this is after Kylo says, "You'll be the one to turn. You'll stand with me." It says Ray stared at him, but there was no lie in Kylo's eyes. And a terrifying realization bloomed in her mind. Kylo's churning emotions weren't just about himself. They were also about her. So it's, I think that passage is really cool because what that basically says is Kylo looks at himself, not just through the lens of his own experiences, but his connection to Rey, which like, I mean, that's pretty powerful right there. Just to say that she means just as much to him in his life as his own experiences do to him as well. So what what, what do you make of that? What do you make of that passage? (laughs) It's so layered. (laughs) It's funny how you mention like their like her experiences and his experiences, and I think that like Shannon and I both have a theme, like our dream theory, right? <laughs> yeah. That they've been connected since she was born, and that like she was basically brought into the world to be that balance for him because that was the age he was when he started going mm-hmm. a little bit dark. So, um, so yeah, like I I just think that 
their like their shared experiences have been happening through their entire lives regardless if they're completely conscious of that mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. so i even though they're separate experiences i think they've been going through a lot of the same beats mm-hmm. well and like it even goes beyond like just Raylo. Because I feel like you could even say, like, those deep connections exist with a lot of couples in Star Wars. Like, you see it with Sienna and Thane. I think you see it with um, Hera and Kanan. Like, it's it's all over the place where that connection just runs so deep that it almost doesn't have a name. And I think even Jason Fry said that as well, that what exists between Kylo and Rey is... It, like, almost goes beyond, like, oh, it's romantic feelings. Like, it's just so nuanced that it almost, like, you can't put a finger on exactly what it is. I actually really am a huge fan of that theory, the idea that they've been connected since birth. And it makes me think of uh, Leia and and Luke, because obviously I don't think Rey and Kylo are brother and sister, because then Raylo gets really weird. But, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but... Like, with Leia and Luke, they were born at the same exact time, but then separated completely. But I think a lot of their experiences probably aligned as well. But when you look at Kylo and Rey, even though they they could have potentially been born at the same time and their experiences were much of the same, but they weren't connected by uh, family lineage. They were connected by some sort of uh, force that was guiding them throughout the universe to eventually end up in the same point in their journeys. Mm-hmm. I think the cosmic force has been guiding them this whole time. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Ben Solo was born during the final moments of the battle on Jakku, which is kind of crazy because that's where we eventually find Rey. It's crazy, and yeah. there are lines in the Force Awakens novelization where he's like, you know, it is you, and she saw him in a daydream and a nightmare. There's just something familiar about themselves that like they recognize in each other and that could just be the force but it could be something more and I know some people have said that maybe it's like resurrection and Anakin and Padme like there's so many theories that Mm -hmm. go into that Mm -hmm. yeah and even so it might be why for Kylo Rey was the first person who was really able to push back on him and the force when he was trying to invade her mind and the force awakens because it's just such an unnatural connection at the time for him because he's like how is this possible that she's like barely ever used the force but all of a sudden she's able to to best me and these tactics i've used she's able to harness his knowledge like they're true equals Mm -hmm. yeah that's what it says in the um last jedi novelization that like what she saw in his mind was a little bit of like how to use the force Mm -hmm. and so they like she didn't even know she was doing it it was like instinctual Mm -hmm. to reach out to him in that way yeah, it's one of the best scenes in the sequel trilogy, in my opinion. It's just like, <laughs> how does she go? Like, it's just, it's just so mind-boggling. And then all of a sudden, she knows about Darth Vader, like how they're connected. It's just uh, the the whole connection between Kylo and Rey is my favorite part of this. Is becoming my favorite part of the sequel trilogy, yeah. and, and just that sense of like familiarity between the two of them and their journeys and what they've been through and and in some ways the complete opposite of each other because kylo is really driven to the dark side by a sense of like uh by a sense of almost isolation from his parents having to go off and train with luke but then ray in the same fashion is also very isolated from her family that's left and she's also constantly looking to have them come back and they'll return one day i promise like you know i'll be here waiting for them um 
and, and, and it's interesting too, because she, she asks him, you, you know, you had a father that loved you. Like, why would you throw that away? Why would you throw away that unconditional love that you were receiving from a family? Whereas I never had a father. Um, and that's what she found in, in, in Han Solo. So speaking of like Han and Ray as a, as a, as almost like a found family, um, what do you, what do you make of their relationship and, and why that's important in, in Ray's journey? Yeah. Like I think, so the really important thing about the found family with Han and Ray is that they have a very, very, um, similar like experience. And we, and we saw that last year when Solo came out, we saw how similar Han's upbringing has been and how, and then we see them years later in the force awakens and you really get the sense that Han sees himself in her and is like, you know, like, I need to help this kid out. Like, I need to take her in. And and on top of that is he knows that he kind of failed his son. And, and he's like, oh, maybe this is a bit of a do-over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, like, even that idea of, like, having that kind of do-over. Because you see it in a failed way in Master and Apprentice mm-hmm. with uh, Rail and Stanray. But, like, with Han and Rey, it was this kind of, like, you know, I did fail my son, but I see this girl and I recognize myself in this girl and, like, maybe yeah. I can help her. And, you know, we don't get to see too, mm-hmm. too much of that relationship. But, yeah. you know, that would have been so interesting to see, like, Rey have that family on the Falcon. And, I mean, I do mm-hmm. think that she will find – she has found family on the Falcon. But if Han yeah. was still there, like, what kind of difference that could have made for her? Right. I also think that he sees more of himself in Ray than he did in his own son. Which is crazy because Ben Solo and Han, like, he has too much of his father's heart. He like, does. It's really he, there. He 100% is like his father, but I think a lot of his traits that make him different from his father really alienated Han. Yeah, like, 100%. Really, like, made him take a step back. Yeah, and, like, you even see this when, so, like, I just made a video for Network 1901 about Leia's personality type. We have this, like, Disney-fied personalities thing that we do, and her and Han are very similar, but they're also very different, and that's why they kind of, like, spark off of each other, and with Ben Solo, he embodied, like, both of his parents in some ways, and then not at all in others, and the way that it was not at all made him also very at odds with his parents. And I think that's, you know, like, that's what it is. Like, Han doesn't know how to relate to his son, who is very introverted, who is more, like, book smart, who isn't super outgoing, even though they both kind of have that goofy, like, heart of gold on the inside. Like, Mm -hmm. Han was never raised to kind of, like, recognize that. And, like, that gets into kind of, like, masculinity and that kind of stuff. But it's really fascinating. You can really compare it to let's say, like, a father who is, like, really, really sports-centric that loves sports, and their kid doesn't, mm-hmm. you know? And you see you see the differences there. And, like, a lot of times, like, a kid will bond more with one parent because of shared interests. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love the read of, of Han and Ray's relationship that you guys bring up. I've never thought of it as a do-over for Han until just now, but <laughs> it, it actually makes so much sense because I've always read it from the perspective of, uh, Han is the father figure for Ray that she never had, but I've never looked at it the other way around as Ray was the, the relationship with a child that Han never got. And now all mm-hmm. of a sudden, like you said, it's, it's almost like, uh, he's bonding more with Ray than he did with Kylo because of those differences. And like, cause Ray's like the, 
I bypassed the compressor. I know how to fly the Falcon. And Han's just like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like you should be my daughter, <laughs> you know? And, and uh, it, it's, it's pretty, I think the, the importance too of, of found family in Star Wars to, to, um, to speak to that, there's this quote from the Ahsoka book by E.K. Johnston. And it says, there's two kinds of family. There's the kind like me in Cardin, where you get born into the right place to the right people and you're stuck with one another. If you're lucky, it turns out okay. The other kind of family is the kind you find. So I think this really hits the nail on the head of the importance of found family because, yeah. you know, fa- uh, fam- family love in Star Wars is very is very prominent just between, like, you know, brother and sister and father and son. It's always been there, but it's also very important to acknowledge the found family. So what do you... What do you think it, it, the overarching theme of that represents for some of the characters? Not just even Ray, but some other characters potentially as well. I mean, you see it in Rebels a lot, yeah. like the Ghost mm-hmm. Crew coming together. I was, I was actually going to say all of the TV series. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. like the main thing, because even with Resistance too, and Clone right. Wars, yeah, yeah, and I think having that found family and like really rallying around these like individuals who like make you feel safe and make you feel at home when maybe like your actual family didn't or maybe mm-hmm. just in a different way it gives you something new to fight for like you see that with Ezra and you see that with Kaz like you we really see it with Kaz where like he he thought he knew how to be a resistance fighter but then kind of coming together with you know like team fireball he really kind of finds this new reason to fight and then seeing the destruction of his home world, like it rallies Brutal. him again. <laughs> yeah. It was oh, so rough. God, we were so I can't upset. even think about that scene. <laughs> it's so upsetting. Um, but then even Finn in the, in the last Jedi, he thinks he knows how to be in the resistance as well. Like he doesn't really want to, he still wants to run. But then even when he, he rallies, like, Rose said it exactly. It's like, it's not about fighting what you hate. It's saving what you love. It's wanting to love, finding that love for your found family and wanting to keep them safe more than you just want to blow it all up. Yeah. Found family is really important too, because I feel like we need to get out of the trope of everybody is related to everybody. That's so important for Star Wars moving forward beyond the Skywalker saga, because it can't just always be that way. We can't just always say, you know, raise the granddaughter of who and, yeah. and what. It really has to, I think it, it, it's more powerful of a message when it is about found family. And I hope we get some of that in the Mandalorian as well between, um, between Pedro Pascal's character and Janina or Gina, what's her last name? Like Guevara or something like that. Ta- or yeah, I'll have to, I forget what, I'm blanking on her name right now, but like, that's the kind of thing where I could see it as a found yeah. family, but let's talk about resistance for a little bit. Cause I think that's a really good example. And I know you guys are huge resistance fans <laughs> yeah. and I like resistance a lot too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm having withdrawals because favorite, my favorite part of Sunday was always waking up. Cause for some reason it was on demand, like right in the morning, even though it didn't come on until like 10 PM. So I somehow got mm-hmm. it like 10 hours early and I'd watch it, but with Kaz's home, seeing his home world destroyed and even the relationship with his father as well. I feel like he was always living in his father's shadow, much like Ben Solo was living in, in Han's shadow as well. And in some ways that made Kaz a little more um, like, you know, rebellious and also wanted to be a little more goofy than his dad might be in some ways, like a little more quirky. His dad's probably very like formal and very uh, respected and, and, and all that. 
but Kaz finds his family with some of this just like ragtag group of, of people on the Colossus who he just originally thought it was just a job, but then it turns into something more than that. And with his homeworld being destroyed, I think the, the found family for him is going to be even more important for season two because that's that's all he truly has now. So what's your what's your take with Kaz, just to, to speak more on what you're saying, Shannon, and um, what do you think that, that role for him moving forward will be? I think it'll be really interesting because yeah. he found this family and then he had his real family taken away from him and then he had, had Tam, Tam taken, yeah. taken mm-hmm. away from him. Did Were you there for the resistance panel? Uh, I wasn't. I was on a flight home. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm so bummed really about panel. it. It was I a think good it was panel. my favorite oh. panel of the weekend. I yeah. watched it when I got, first thing I got home though, I watched it and it was so <laughs> yeah. good. Bobby Moynihan they, running through the crowd and with Donald Faison taking photos is great. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did show the first episode of season two, yeah. Um, yeah. which we won't spoil. We won't spoil. <laughs> yeah, um, but I do think what's going on with Tam is going to weigh very, very heavily on Kaz because he doesn't understand her choice. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of season two is going to be him understanding and coming to terms with why she left it's not just going to be as simple as she realizes that she's on the wrong side it's also going to be well you have to understand where i'm coming from and why i chose this life Mm -hmm. and that's like a that's a really big deal like that's something that you have to deal with with the people that you love like sometimes they do things that you don't understand but you still love them and Mm -hmm. so you still you want to have that understanding you want to see where they're coming from and like we said before that opens the door to redemption right and i do think there's that difference where Kaz has come from this like really rich family from Hosnian Prime. Prime, he's been like kind of handed everything to him, and this is the first time he's really like living on his own and doing everything for himself. So he's gonna make mistakes. And the thing is, Tam sees that, and Tam is like, you know, I I work so hard for where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for her, it's hard to see that he got to where he is because, you know, he had like he he was born into a really rich family. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited by the story beat between those two characters because yeah. again, the, the fireball crew for Kaz is his found family, but now the first order is Tam's found family. Yeah. So it's just like, Oh, it's so good. Like the, I can't wait for but them to see like, where the show is. Yeah. Oh, it's so lost stars. stars. And I, I just have a feeling that it's going to crumble so quickly for Tam. Like it's not going to be what she expected it to be, but yeah. she's going to be stubborn and dig her heels in like Sienna does. And Sienna, you know, like she really believes mm-hmm. in the Empire. So it's going to be, yeah. it has the potential to be so nuanced I, and it's so I crazy. Also, I was going to say, I also see her being a lot like Aiden in the mm-hmm. sense where we were talking about how Aiden doesn't blindly follow the Empire, but she's all, always helping like the little guy. Like she's always mm-hmm. looking to help people in need where cyana was more at the beginning she was like no i'm serving the empire she Mm -hmm. was like serving the purpose of whatever her seniors were telling her to do right i think that tam is going to be more like Aiden. right so it's like where she comes up against one of those sort of operation cinders it's when that's the Mm -hmm. that's the uh that's the line that she can't cross and i even think of alphabet squadron have you guys both read alphabet Mm -hmm. squadron yeah not going to go into spoilers about it more of just talking about the the character of how do you say her name is it uh you listen to the yerica 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 okay yeah alex listened to the audio it's like 
It's Perfect. like Erica, but with a Y. Erica. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm going to actually bring you on my uh, re- review uh, episode for that, just so you can correct me on all the names, because I don't know <laughs> any of them. Um, so with uh, Erica, her she's like operates very much the same way, because she originally joined uh, the Empire because she wanted to eventually go into the Rebellion, but she felt as the more she dug into it, the more she felt obligated to stay behind with her teammates and she didn't want to leave them. Mm-hmm. But operation cinder, much like a lot of other people in the empire was that breaking point where they're not going to blindly uh, be obedient to, to the empire anymore. And that's, that's like too much for him, for her. So like the people that stayed behind were more of mm-hmm. the, the crazies that ended up being the first order. So I, I, I do yeah. agree. I think it'll be really interesting to see, how Tam deals with that conflict. And I wonder what that uh, changing of the minds for her will be. What will be that catalyst for her to try to seek redemption Mm -hmm. and go back to the fireball crew and how that might play into what we see in the last Jedi or or what we see in the last Jedi and what we will see in the the rise of Skywalker. Is there anything on the top of your mind that you could think of maybe that we've already seen that could be, uh, could be integrated into the, um, into resistance for Tam? I mean, I think she's going to, her story is going to get woven into a little bit of the Stormtrooper Rebellion, mm-hmm. yeah. just because she'll be a person on the inside. Yeah. I And I do think that, you know, she'll see that, and then she'll want to leave the First Order, but I don't think she'll ever go back to that Tam we saw in Episode 1. Mm-hmm. She, you know, she will be forever. It's just like if, you know, when um, Ben Solo is redeemed, he's not going to go back <laughs> to being been solo like he can't you can't right. erase kylo ren it's part of him now so like yep. tam being part of the first order like that's part of her now and that's another thing that mm-hmm. kaz is gonna have to understand that things aren't gonna just go back to how they were and mm-hmm. that'll tie in as well with him dealing with his grief over losing his family like he's changed a lot as well whether he realizes it or not when you say stormtrooper rebellion do you mean um like in episode nine supposedly when the the white traditional stormtroopers are going to like revolt against the first order and then that brings in the sith troopers is that what you mean by that yeah okay yeah that's actually yeah. a really cool point because like last jedi is basically what the day after force awakens yeah <laughs> so we can't just <laughs> we can't just really assume that like the entire which is which is interesting we can't assume the entire um second season of resistance is just going to be one day it's it's going to delve mm-hmm. into that year between last jedi and rise of skywalker so maybe that stormtrooper rebellion is like yeah. a year-long thing so by the time we get to rise of skywalker it's already full force like kylo is yeah. already potentially she's hearing talk with the stormtroopers saying things mm-hmm. i yeah. also would love to see us as an audience find out more about the contingency plan through mm-hmm. Tam's eyes. Yes. Like her seeing things yeah. and us learning. Well, and that's like yeah. such a fascinating perspective because she's mm-hmm. such an outsider. She didn't grow yeah. up in the Empire. She didn't grow up with the first, like the First Order. She's like fresh and new and part of it. Mm-hmm. So like she is completely removed from all of the biases. That would be so fascinating. Yeah. And then her taking info back once she does eventually, hopefully go back to the Resistance, that she would have that info. Oh gosh! All right, so we're not going to talk about sequels anymore. This is entirely a second season of Resistance preview. (laughs) We're going to talk for another three hours. Um, Uh, I'm I'm really excited. The the show has been really good. Obviously, it's felt a lot more kiddie than some of the first seasons of other shows, but I don't mind that at all. Star Wars is for everybody. Importantly, 
And um, I, I still think there's a ton in resistance that's like very, very interesting mm-hmm. and adding a lot to uh, to the the post Return of the Jedi universe, so I can't wait for it. Do you know Do you know when it comes on TV again? Because I I October? I'm so anxious. Yeah, fall, fall sometime. Okay. Oh god, yeah. it's gonna be a long wait, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Alex and I watch it at the same time. Like we just turn it on. We get, we get different commercials because we're in different areas, but we still watch it at the same time <laughs> yeah. so we can react. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I can't wait for that. So did you did you have anything else that you want to touch on? I know we talked about found family and, and belonging um, and more of like an unconditional love and, and uh, romantic love even between Kylo and, and Rey. Was there anything else within this theme that you guys wanted to hit on? If there's any other characters that you, you might recognize or um, anything else? As Kylo said in The Force Awakens after he destroyed all that stuff. <laughs> anything else? Um, I think that only other thing and this is just kind of like a brief thing when alex and i were talking about l3 because we did an l3 episode the found family and the love between lando and l3 is something truly special and if you want like okay we swear by the solo novelization it's if you haven't read it yeah (laughs) it's so good and you get so much good angst in it so just go for it it's solo's not our favorite movie like by mm-hmm. a long shot but this novelization wrecks us like it's it's so good it's well i'm like shelf. i always forget too i just i think about the novelization and then we pop in the movie and we're just like oh right <laughs> <laughs> so you think it at you think it builds it out a lot more than than on oh, screen 100 so percent. so much it does every every problem that we have with solo the novel fixes oh that's good i have to, it's amazing uh, i have to read it then yeah, and it's written by a woman author, which is also yeah. great. Mer Lafferty, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, L3 and Lando, that's another good example. And even though it's not the sequel trilogy, it is the uh, Disney era of Star Wars, which I think we can really expand some of our discussion today if you'd like to just that in general. Um, so yeah, so uh, so love is obviously a hugely important uh, element of Star Wars. And uh, strangely enough, too, it also is, uh, going back to the color red earlier, that's... Um, traditionally a color that is associated with uh love so just another little thing there so if we're looking at the rise of skywalker it's not even just the red stormtrooper about power and ruling it could be about the love between uh kylo and ray as well um so another another big theme that i think is very important to look at and this might be a little bit of a, a hotly debated one for anybody that's listening who doesn't like the last jedi but i like the last jedi a lot uh failure the idea of uh, going through failure in life and and what it teaches you as as a person and why it's important to experience mm-hmm. failure and again I think this is a really the core of why we're talking today because when you have to sometimes you have to take a step back and look at these movies on a, a, a much deeper level and see like why the story is being told the way it is rather than just at a plot level and saying, oh, this, you know, this action's happening. This is really cool. I want to see Luke take down six Star Destroyers. Like, um, I personally didn't need that. It's cool for everybody else or somebody else to maybe want that. But I think it was really powerful to see Luke fail as a hero in the movie because it was totally unexpected. And it showed that he is not entirely flawless and not entirely exempt from uh, being an imperfect person. So what do you two think in terms of failure and in, in terms of what it teaches us and, and how it might guide us and, and what's what's that sending to the 
what kind of message is that sending to an audience, especially uh, somebody growing up watching these movies as their first Star Wars? So I think this, we've talked about it a little bit, but um, going into like the future, into the rise of Skywalker, all of us, I think, are redemptionists. We'd like to see Ben get redeemed. And for, for me, at least, his redemption means a lot because it shows us all that we can fail and we can make mistakes and we can come back from those mistakes. Mm-hmm. So, it, like, I, I, if he does not get redeemed, um, I wouldn't like the message that that's sending, basically. Right. Well, and, like, so many people identify with Ben Solo and Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. And to say that he's too far gone is just a real yeah. downer. And mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. even redeeming him and then killing him doesn't really help either. Because, you know, we need to see the Skywalkers succeed. We need to see them become mm-hmm. triumphant. And, like, they've made a lot of mistakes. Because Anakin made so many mistakes that led him to becoming Darth Vader. Luke failed Ben Solo. He, you know allowed himself to kind of be blinded to the fact that he was going through so much. So we need to see a triumph with them. We need to see that Mm -hmm. be overcome. And I think in The Last Jedi, we see Yoda giving advice to Luke. And that's really interesting because we've seen Yoda fail the Jedi. And he's learned from that. He's come back and now he's giving his advice because he's learned from his own failure. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were actually, um, What the Force, MC just interviewed Kevin Scott, who wrote um, Dooku Jedi Lost, and he has so many amazing things to say about, like, old Luke and Yoda, and, like, a big thing was, like, seeing your heroes get old and then, you know, fail and come Mm -hmm. back from that, like, that's so amazing to see because, like, things don't exist, you know, just like perfectly it doesn't stay the same like obviously they're going to keep growing older and changing so to see luke fail and then to see him turn that over in his mind and come back from that is really something special yeah i think the sequel trilogy would have been pretty at least in my opinion boring if it just followed the like all the heroes are perfect from the original trilogy we're gonna get some sort of like fun rise to the rise to the call story for the new characters and that's it I think it's better to challenge our beliefs and what we know about the the people we've been so familiar with for all these years and to really make us think like about their characters beyond just, a, again, a plot level. Um, something I was reading in terms of, uh, Shannon, you mentioned Too Far Gone. I was reading this thing on redemption from Psychology Today, and they were saying in Buddhism, there exists an important principle known as from on, from today onward which essentially says that to dwell unduly on the past negates the idea that we can change and improve ourselves in the future. We can't escape the effects of our past causes, but we can aim to be transformed by them in a way that strengthens strengthens the good in us. So this ties into my take on the title, The Rise of Skywalker. You know, some people have said that um, they think it might be the next generation of Jedi and that's what they're called, which is totally valid. That's a really, I think that's a really good theory as well. But my my personal take on it is... I see every one of the Skywalkers having failed in some sort of way. So like Anakin failed, like you said, and Leia failed relatively as a parent, not that she meant to, but it happened. And Luke failed as a master and Kylo failed as a son and as a expected to be Jedi potentially. 
So when you look at all those Skywalkers and, all, and how they've failed, I see the rise of Skywalker being we're finally going to not let the past um, dictate our future and determine yeah. our fates. We can now move on from today and become better people and rise. We're gonna, the Skywalkers will finally rise above that and, and, and be a, a, a cause for good in the universe and in the galaxy, yeah. not just like the same failures over and over, like a, almost like a wheel that they're trying to break. And that's what I see <laughs> Kylo's role serving. And I see Ray helping him along with that to make an impact and be the one to help him break that wheel for the Skywalkers and also help Leia and Ghost Luke in the process. That's awesome. I love that theory. <laughs> yeah. That's like, very, I'm like very, I stand by that so much. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And they're, <laughs> The entire family is held under these expectations, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's the problem: is these the, these expectations of the past is causing them to fail. Right. Yeah. And but it's, it's like why Kylo time... says the past needs to die, and it's like, yeah, it's so exactly. prevalent. The past is such a big topic. But he's still like missing part of the equation and like this is from dooku jedi lost i don't really think it's a spoiler but maybe a little bit of a spoiler so there's this like ancient chant where it talks about you know you're walking towards the light but acknowledging the darkness and finding balance in between Mm -hmm. so it's like you can't just focus on one thing and like destroy the other regardless if that's light or dark or whichever side you fall on like you have to walk with both Mm -hmm. and so the past like in the past, like the Skywalkers have failed and like they've crumbled under the weight of all of these expectations. Like you could even say that Leia failed with the formation of the New Republic because they yeah. did allow the um, First Order to rise. That's a great example. They made a lot of the same mistakes as the New yeah. Republic. Yeah, she failed as and a leader. It, exactly. But yeah. like y- they failed because they ignored the past. You have mm-hmm. to acknowledge it so you can move forward. Yeah, oh, that's just such a powerful, powerful message. And and when you think about Kylo trying to to eliminate, like, what do you think him trying to eliminate the past says about his character? That he is trying to throw off his expectation. He's yeah. crumbling yeah. under the weight he of it. He can't born sustain it. Into expectation. Yeah, yeah. And like, like that's what he sees in Ray. Yeah, imagine being born into that, and he sees Ray, and he sees that like she's just. She she's was no born one. into nothing, like he said. She's mm-hmm. nothing. She was born into nothing, which to him, like, that's everything that he's ever wanted. Oh, that's mm-hmm. so good. <laughs> Isn't it? Oh, my God. <laughs> we oh. say this daily, but it's like Star Wars is so good. <laughs> yeah. And this is why I like talk. This is why I wanted to talk about this with you guys, because I knew you're going to have such a good take on this. And again, like <laughs> themes are so important. You have to when you really look at like what these stories are telling us about like the people within them, not just again, advancing the plot, you can really, really dive into it pretty deeply. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I think too with him, he's just really trying, he's also by trying to kill the past. I think that's his rebellious way of trying to destroy any sort of remnant left behind with Ben Solo, because he's, I think he still feels that pull to the light as he tells mm-hmm. Darth Vader's mask and the, and the force awakens. And for him to kill the past, he thinks that might fix that. Like, that, that will get rid of it yeah. finally. And he's, like, so adamant about doing that. And Ray can help him achieve that. And that's how he sees her purpose for him, potentially. And also just the fact that they're linked uh, linked emotionally. But um, Well, you know even if you say? think of it as, like, 
you know, as like trauma, Mm -hmm. it hurts to be Ben Solo. It hurts to remember all of the stuff that's happened to him, to remember how his parents failed him, how he failed himself, how the galaxy has failed him. Like he's raging against all of it. And so Mm -hmm. naturally he wants to push it as far away from himself as he can. And he's closed himself off to everything in order to do that. But that call to the light is still there no matter what he does. Right. And speaking on the the redemption aspect of of failure, one other excerpt from the last Jedi novelization is when they're in the elevator and she says, look at me, Ben. And it says, he turned at the sound of the name he had been born with, the one he'd abandoned. He looked lost. Then it goes on to say, she watched the emotions chase themselves across his face, echoed by jitters and spikes in the force, anger, confusion, pain, Loneliness, longing, sorrow. Uh, Our poor sad boy. (laughs) My heart Uh, is like tearing itself apart right now. uh, See, you can't give us this stuff and then end episode nine with a dead Ben Solo or an unredeemed Ben Solo. I'm sorry, but you can't. Yeah. So, oh gosh. I mean, Mm. just the... I, I love the phrase jitters and spikes in the force again, connecting to the idea that they're connected yeah. somehow by the force and that she, she, she almost feels what uh, she's feeling, what he feels and vice versa. Yeah. It's like, they're both experiencing each other, each other's experience. And I think that's also the concept of the force Skype is like, is like symbolic of that as well. It's not just like literally seeing each other. It's them sharing experiences and trauma together. In- in some fan fiction, like, people will write them even, like, being able to communicate through the bond, like, without talking. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, like... I, I was about to say, <laughs> we just read something where they could feel each other. I'm like, that was a fanfic. Whoops. They could, like, just feel each other's feelings. And, like, when one feels sad, the other one does, too. Yep. Yeah. a great moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, I fixed you that, though, yeah. so I can't call one out. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, with with uh, with with failure and redemption too, and going back to what you you talked about Yoda's scene and in, in the Last Jedi is such an important scene as well, and uh, weakness and failure, failure most of all, the greatest teacher of failure is, we are what they grow beyond. That is the true burden of all masters. So for Luke, his burden is to see what Kylo has grown beyond, and I'm hoping that we'll get some sort of moment if Ben is redeemed with from Luke's perspective. Um, showing Luke once again that, like he said, no one's ever really gone. And for him, I think that'll help wrap up Luke's story. Again, the Skywalker saga, you got to incorporate everybody. Maybe even like a Force Ghost Anakin, which I I think at this point, I I really want it. I don't know if they'll do it, if they'll have the guts to do it, but they should. Um, And and, uh, what do you you make of the the line, no one's ever really gone? Because obviously they use it in the trailer to to reveal Palpatine's coming back, but on a more symbolic and thematic level, I think that's a huge, one of the main driving themes of this trilogy is that nobody's ever really gone. I think it really points to like, everybody is worthy of redemption. Like no matter how far you have strayed from the path, like you can still come back from that. Mm -hmm. And you, you see that with literally every character except for Palpatine. Yeah. Like you see that even with Dooku, you see that in Rebels, you see it in Clone Wars, you see it in mm-hmm. Resistance. Like it's such a huge theme of, you know, it doesn't matter how yeah. far you've descended, you can always come back from it. Mm-hmm. I was going to say a novel that like 
does that line justice so well is Dark Disciple. Oh, yes. Oh, I just read that like two months oh, ago. Yeah. It's so good. So good. <laughs> Both, if you ever want to hurt, read anything by Christy Golden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> both the main characters in Dark Disciple, you could say, like, went through a redemption arc in that book. Mm-hmm. And it's just, look look, look to the animation and look to the novels for the people yes. of Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> the <laughs> novels reveal so much. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. I, I love what you said, Shannon, about there hasn't been a single character with the exception of Palpatine that hasn't shown redeemable qualities. And that I was actually going to play devil's advocate and say like, is, is there truly nobody that can't be redeemed? And I think Palpatine's the prime example. Like he is just somebody that is so corrupt and so evil that there, there's no way he can ever redeem himself for the injustice that he's done on the universe because he has set in motion yeah. every single thing from in the entire skywalker saga it's been the results of him like the empire and alderaan and and the first order coming back and kylo's turn so um i think that's the a powerful message for the audience because growing up as a kid you're watching these movies and i think it's important to instill in people that like mistakes are okay to make and it's okay to fail in some ways but um, you know, it doesn't mean you're lost. It doesn't mean that you can't come back and live a better life. But there's also a certain point of like, you've made, you know, you don't want to go down this path too far, like Palpatine's yeah. path, mm-hmm. like that's too far gone. So to show that fine line between the two things is a very important message to send to, yeah. to fans. But to bring it back to the connection between redemption and love, I, as like, we have, we haven't seen this in canon, but has Palpatine ever truly loved? Right. Yeah. Exactly. I love democracy. <laughs> Does he though? <laughs> but like that's that is the difference. It's like ha- like finding that love or having somebody love you. Like that is what allows you to come back. Like, and people still love Ben. And so even though Ben thinks that he yeah. he he probably thinks that he's unredeemable. I mean, he even says that he's a monster, but it doesn't matter because people still love him. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, still, with Palpatine, we've never seen it. He still loves his mom. He yeah. still loves we his see, mom. We see he doesn't shoot her in The Last Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the... Um, it's the Revenge of the Sith novelization where it says that love is more than a candle. Love can ignite the stars because it talks yeah. about how a single candle can hold the darkness back. It's yeah. so powerful. Yeah, and even when he when Leia dies in the ship, we you see how angry he gets once he realizes like, oh my gosh, she's dead. Like he he kind of like shakes in his cockpit and he like he like grunts like pretty hard and everything. So you see it's still there. Like aspects of the love for for his parents are still there. And I was watching Force Awakens last night when he kills Han Solo. You can even see like the dawn dawning on his face of like what he's just done and like he definitely feels that connection similar to a right right when it cuts to leia she feels that same pain that he's feeling at the same time so it's the love is in there for him he's totally redeemable and i think just because he killed han solo doesn't mean like i don't agree with like any of the takes at all (laughs) they're just wrong that like it split his spirit to the bone yeah yeah, like, oh, he killed Han Solo. He can't be redeemed. Like, that's that's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I know you but love I, Han Solo, but in the grand scheme yeah. of things, Han Solo doesn't matter in the in the mm-hmm. universe as a whole. You know. And this is Star Wars. I think all of our characters have killed people. Yeah. I mean, I know people are personally attached to Han, and like, it's atrocious that he killed. Oh Han's yeah, mother. absolutely. Like, Patricide's awful, but we are looking at this 
with a lens of this is Star Wars. Yeah. Well, and it's fairy tale, right? Like it's all yeah. heightened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of an example of like other literature where somebody kills somebody in their family and like. I can't, I feel like there's something in Shakespeare I'm trying to think of maybe where that happens or what, but, um, I can't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I mean, it's always portrayed as a, as a pretty dark act, but I think you can even look at it in like the Mortis arc Mm. with, you know, like the son, um, wants to kill the father and he accidentally kills the daughter and like all of this kind of cycle here. And none of it really points to, like, the son being totally evil because he shows remorse and he shows regret and he he loves the daughter. Like, he has that love in him. Mm -hmm. And so it's so much more nuanced than, like, a lot of people make it out to be, which is really interesting. Yeah, the Mortis arc is fascinating. I love that so much. I need to rewatch that. And, uh... (laughs) Do you think Brian Johnson uh, watched a lot of the Mortis arc when he was doing Last Jedi? <laughs> yeah, I would still love to see the world between worlds. I, I saw somewhere on Twitter today somebody said like they would love to see uh, the Force connection developed even more between Kylo and Rey, where they like meet in the world between worlds. Which yeah. I feel like for the general audience that will be like a huge hit over the yeah. head for them because they'll be like, "Whoa, what is going on?" But for like Star Wars lore lovers, that would be like ecstasy and be like, "Holy crap, this is amazing." <laughs> Um, there's I been mean, some hints though yeah mm-hmm. there's been some weird hints with the world between worlds even like, like the um, way that they framed ray's vision yeah like i yeah. think people would they'd let they'd they'd catch on and palpatine was pretty prominently featured in the rebels world between worlds episode like he is like the driving mm-hmm. factor of that like trying to use ezra to yeah. to influence other parts of the universe mm-hmm. And we hear Ray's voice. We hear Ray's voice, too, in the World Between Worlds Mm -hmm. during that episode. I think that might be a good way to introduce him back into canon somehow, or to the movie. Yeah, that'll be the big question, is how was, where has Palpatine been? Like, what, Mm -hmm. is this like a Voldemort situation? What's, what's he been doing? What's he up to? He's been on the back of Poe's head this entire time. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's why his hair is so big. It's full of secrets. Uh... (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh um <laughs> that's why i keep seeing all the old poe memes on twitter too it's just palpatine wow. he's wow. aging poe i mean both faster. of their names start with a p so you're on to something mm, i think we've cracked the riddle i think yes. all right well we broke news it's happening yep heard it here first <laughs> uh with failure and and redemption i feel like we could go on for this for hours i'm trying to think is there any other examples for redemption and other besides the sequel trilogy itself and um i guess like rogue one is another good example too yeah. um galen or so i think is important to bring up because like as one of those people again that kind of followed blindly to the empire but was kind of forced into a situation but didn't mean he was necessarily a bad person and he showed his own daughter that he was redeemed and that the whole time he was playing along just to like serve the larger good so I think he's a really good example of, of redemption. Um, I will say that a, a lot of the redemption that we see does end in death, but mm-hmm. there are a couple of instances that we see where they live on, like with Aiden and with Eureka, um, even for a little bit of spoilers, Quinlan, although we don't get to see a whole lot from him. Um, and it's it's hard. It's really hard to walk that road. But it's so interesting to see. And, like, I know that's what I'm hoping for. Like, I'm hoping for, like, countless books with post-redeemed Ben Solo and seeing, Mm -hmm. 
you know, how he's coming back and how he's faring and like all that kind of stuff. We're going to get an onslaught of those novels. <laughs> Come <laughs> like a suit. I would not be surprised. Like day one of 2020, they're like, here are all these Kylo and Ray books. We're just like, there we go. Perfect. Awesome. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> I was also going to mention um, one instance where we see a character who believes she is beyond redemption, I think is Kira. Which oh, is yeah. Mm-hmm. And where she. I think that she believes that she has no escape from the life that she has and she lets Han go and she truly believes she can't go with him because she's beyond that redemption. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Where is your restraining bolt? If the door mm-hmm. is open, she mm-hmm. says that she'd fly free, but she doesn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kara, I want to see more of Kara as well, by the way, she's an awesome character. Get Amelia mm-hmm. Clark back in star Wars. That's all I got to say about that. With with failure and redemption, they're huge themes of of the sequel trilogy, and I, the overarching message is that people aren't perfect. People experience failure, and it's a reason why I've connected with the sequel trilogy so much is because I'm you know I see the mistakes of my own past. Not that I've done anything like terrible, like killed my dad, but um, <laughs> but like you know it's it's a very relatable aspect of just human nature in general, and I think that's really powerful for the sequel trilogy to look at the idea of of failure and redemption actually one quick question i want to ask you too with with i i, I keep hearing will kylo mirror uh ben so or uh, darth vader's redemption too closely and i know this is a big topic on the resistance broadcast last week um do you think you know even though both could both would be redeemed technically like how do you think kylo's symbolically would differ from from vader's because from my perspective i see vader obviously he died so that for me makes the case that ben solo might live so that might be the the difference between the two of them to show that like you know darth vader didn't just redeem himself because he knew that was like his final moments like ben solo like wants to keep on living and keep on fighting the good fight not just like redeem himself in the heroic last moment Mm-hmm. I think there kind of will be a heroic last moment, though, because I think he will sacrifice himself <laughs> and he will. Shannon's not about that. <laughs> no, no, no. We have like this huge theory about this. <laughs> We're very like we we very much think it's going to be like tangled beating the beast yes. moment oh, where okay. he sacrifices himself and he does die essentially, oh. but he is somehow brought back with force. with the power of love (laughs) i mean i talked about this in a video too um when i talked about beauty and the beast on network 1901 that like it wasn't necessarily true romantic love that brings the beast back but like Belle's true compassion that true unconditional love Mm -hmm. that brought him back like you know he had to be truly loved by another Mm -hmm. and to be truly loved that was be unconditionally and that's what allowed the beast to live mm-hmm. and like you even see that with tangled and if you look at the original story of rapunzel like it's them coming back together them reuniting that restores the prince's eyesight in the original it brings flynn back to life and it's just like i don't know the force has some interesting plans and like you yeah. can't have balance if been if like half of the balance is dead like you just yeah, because then it's somewhere else something springs up that causes the imbalance yeah, once, that once is more. That's what happened at the end of the original trilogy. Like, you can't kill one side, you have to have both. Mm-hmm. And I think tying back to what we talked about earlier with them 
your your theory of they're born at the exact same moment because the force is bringing yeah. them to existence like like you said you can't have one without the other and i think that's the purpose they were brought into this world was to bring that yeah. balance and it's why i it's I why don't they're gonna think that they were born at the same time because mm-hmm. ben is older oh yeah i think that she was born when the force saw the imbalance right yeah. right yeah when he started and becoming imbalanced yeah like we we believe that like he was born to be that balance. Like they talk about, you know, like he was this bright spot of hope, um, like Mm -hmm. before he had been born, but that darkness was already there. So Palpatine was already there, already preying on him. And when Ben reached his breaking point, that's when Ray was brought in to help him come back. Mm -hmm. Cause timing wise, she would have been born when he was sent off to the temple. Yes. At his loneliest point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even thinking to Anakin's birth too, you can also look at his birth yeah. as the same birth as Rey because yeah. maybe Anakin was didn't have a father, so Shmi's like, what the hell? What did I do? Mm-hmm. Um, what happened? But Anakin comes into the world because he is meant to bring that balance at that moment because the evil's festering behind the scenes with Palpatine. Mm-hmm. He is starting to set forward things that are going to get into motion his empire. So that's when Anakin's brought into the world to say, like, hey, this is happening. Like, the Force is willing it to happen. And Anakin's purpose is to balance. So that's why when Anakin dies, I think, that's why the universe goes back into imbalance. And that's why, like you said, Rey comes back into the universe to solve that. So, yeah, I think if Kylo dies, it's going to continue that cycle that we're trying to get away from, which makes a better case for him to live. a crazy theory that Ben is conceived like when they're burning Darth Vader. Oh yeah. On Endor. Yeah. I think there's like some. Leia and Han don't agree when he was conceived. Yeah. Yeah. One of them thinks that it was on Endor and the other one thinks it was on the Falcon. Yeah. Mm. So there's, there's a little, cause I think that had to tie in. I can't remember where I was, what I was listening to, but it had to tie in with like Anakin is like rebirth and like coming back. Mm -hmm. So, like, he died, oh. and then, like, Ben, yeah, like, rose mm. from the it, ashes. It must have been the, the What the Force Honey Dalla episode. Maybe? It had to have been, right? Yeah. Yeah. We listen to, like, so many amazing women talk about so many amazing things. Like, go listen to women talk about Star Wars, because they're always right. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually really interesting. I like that. Brighty <laughs> Village was lit, apparently, that night. They were having some, a good I mean... time. <laughs> <laughs> Like, the Ewoks were just like, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. You guys go into the the hut. The Ewoks are pretty crazy. (laughs) I mean, they did have, like, a bunch of Stormtrooper helmets on spikes, so um, they were pretty evil. And they were able to whip up Leia dress pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Now I'm just envisioning them like the trolls from Frozen. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, and if we go back to Endor... In Rise of Skywalker, oh my God. can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> Reenact the musical number, please. Chief Chirpa, he's gonna help solve everything and Wicked. That's wick amazing. It. That's so what great. if that picture from Vanity Fair with Jana and and Finn on those horses? What if those are just Ewok horses things, and there's oh just an God. army of Ewoks that go against the can Sith you troopers? Ah, oh. <laughs> you just can't beat them. Can never nope. beat them. Nope. Uh, <laughs> Well, hitting our last topic here, you guys wrote this one in here, the, the coming of age theme of the, the sequel trilogy. I'd like to hear your thoughts on and, and why you included that and, and what your take on that that theme is throughout the, the trilogy. Yeah, I think that um, 
trilogy is kind of like a, a true like passage from childhood to adulthood mm-hmm. and we really see like both of our like, protagonists kylo and ray they're like teen phase i guess in mm-hmm. the last jedi like you really really see it and you see it with finn and poe also in the last jedi mm-hmm. yeah they're just they're kind of like rebelling they're coming into their own type of mm-hmm. thing like i i hadn't thought about really like poe and finn but you're like absolutely right because they want to get in there and they want to blow stuff up they're not listening they kind of all mature Mm -hmm. except for kylo by the end of that movie and like his is wrapped in with all of that Mm -hmm. redemption and that type of stuff but like with ray she is in this very childlike state at the beginning of the force awakens she's so removed from the world she you know in a lot of ways is very innocent because she doesn't really know what's happening in the world and the force awakens in her she awakens like as a woman she grows she changes and by the end of the last jedi and you hear this in the novelization you know she knows who she is she knows that she's an instrument of the force she knows that she'll have to wait and see what will happen and she's good at two things and that's waiting and salvaging broken things mm-hmm. like ben solo yes. <laughs> <laughs> see in all the in all the marketing for The Rise of Skywalker, we see everyone's new outfits, and they're very refined. You see Finn's new outfit. It's very, like, um, he's in the right place, and he knows his place in the Resistance. Mm-hmm. Same with Rey. Like, it's very sim- It's a very similar outfit, but her hair is just a little bit, like, I guess, like, polished. tighter and smoother, yeah, yeah, polished. Yeah. Her mm-hmm. outfit is just a little bit more polished. And then Kylo, it's... Still pretty similar, I guess, his outfit. Very princely. I say, yeah. Very <laughs> yeah, that, that, that Vanity Fair cover, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and when people have talked about it, too, like, we're seeing a little bit of a regression with Kylo and Rey, like, kind of going back yeah. to, like, what they were comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But with Rey, it is kind of, she's going back to what she's comfortable with, but she's also taking with her that newfound knowledge that she's gotten. Yeah. So that is that walking towards the light, acknowledging the darkness. You know, she's carrying both the past and the future with her. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Ben Solo, we don't really know quite yet, especially with the mask being reformed. I know Alex and I like the theory that it's not actually him under the mask. So mm. we'll have to kind of wait and see. But that does mirror Han and Leia, who they go back to what they were good at too. Like when things got hard, like Han went back to smuggling and Leia went back to, you know, keeping busy and being in charge. Like Mm -hmm. when things got hard, instead of growing, they went back to what they thought was comfortable. Right. Yeah. When, what I think, uh, that's actually a really good observation in terms of just the outfits themselves, because like everybody around them is changing except for Ray. I mean, with the exception of like Ray's hood and she very much looks the same as she does in, in the force awakens and Kylo's as, as well. So I think this movie is going to be the hitting point of they've taken all the knowledge that they've, they've learned throughout the last two movies and now like forming it to grow beyond like what they've, what they've been this entire time. Do you think it's important? There's a year gap now between the last Jedi and the rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah. I, I at first a year was always like the sweet spot for me because if it's mm-hmm. too if it's like longer than a year that's too much time for like will have passed and we won't see all that growth and development but like yeah. exactly a year is just enough for them to have kind of grown and changed and been on their own for a little while mm-hmm. but still kind of be those people that we saw yeah. in the last Jedi they're still carrying those wounds 
Mm-hmm. Ray's still co- covering her wound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, like, a big thing. Right. Yeah, she's she's hiding, and Kylo has gone back to hiding, like, what exactly has happened? Like, what's going on with the Force Bond? Like, is it still active? Have they spoken to each other? Does anybody else know about it? Mm-hmm. Like, that really gets into a little bit still of that, like, rebellious teen phase of them just kind of, like, keeping secrets and all that. So... Yeah. I think Definitely. we'll really see them grow and come into their own as people, as adults, by the end of episode nine. And if we had a longer time gap, it just wouldn't make as much sense. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, you'd say, did it really take this long? Like, the First Order hasn't done something, like, like really bad by this point, you know, if it's too long well, of a time the, period? the New Republic is gone. Yeah. They destroyed the entire government system, so... We have to see the state of the galaxy. And, like, that's going to be a big thing, I think, with Resistance kind of showing us, like, how the galaxy is kind of rebuilding. Mm -hmm. Like, they'll be able to kind of fill in that year time gap. Yeah. Because right now we only see the First Order. Yeah, and Batu. Batu is our own, or our only, like, like eyes like eyes into what it's like right now but it's so isolated like it's in the outer rim like it's not really part of the greater galaxy so like we have no idea what's happening yeah we do know that the first order is gigantic yeah so (laughs) well we're about to get some books that are going to fill in the gap Mm -hmm. yeah yeah justina ireland writing uh, i think it's spark of resistance justina ireland Ireland is amazing she is go read every book (laughs) by justina ireland yeah her book dread nation is amazing yeah i love i i my hopes for resistance is that it continues for a long time and that we that once the rise of skywalker is over then they can just incorporate all the heroes into the show like ray and and all them and Mm -hmm. i think we get like a good look at that year time period to just flesh it out like how rebels fleshed Mm -hmm. out the five year or four or five years before um a new hope i think we'll get that with mm-hmm. with resistance that's really that's my hope rose. yeah yes. yeah i think I rose, rose could be pretty prominently Kelly involved Tran is doing voice acting for the new monsters inc tv show what so yeah oh so that's she's cool getting into voice acting so oh that's awesome bring her on yeah yes. no I mean, they've already brought well, like, on Oscar Isaac, so it's not out of the, the mm-hmm. realm of possibilities. And he's amazing on that show. He's so good. Yeah. He's so and, funny. And, like, that would be such a good way to, like, explore more of Rose's character. Because, like, we can already see that she's getting pushed to the wayside a little bit in episode nine, which I don't like, but I also understand. So that would be a really great way to explore more of her character without mm-hmm. just confining her to the books and the comics. Yeah, definitely. And you can also incorporate characters like Snap, Wexley and his crew as well yeah. um, with Rose and, and just see like what all of those people are up to. Plus there is this, it just seems like a really good tag team of people um, from like the show and the movies. Um, I really, yeah, I do. I want more Rose too. I think, I don't know why they're yeah. being so secretive about her. I don't know if it's because like she's going to serve a larger purpose than we might think and they don't want to reveal too much about it, but it's, it's been kind of questionable, like the lack of, of her and any marketing or anything but hopefully we get some of her in the trailer um or like the behind the scenes yeah like behind the scenes too like at d23 i think they'll show us a reel like they have every year so hopefully we'll get some more from her then um but i would i would think it's not like a great look if they just say you know like oh she didn't get like great reception whatever especially since they had jj and kelly do an interview together at celebration mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a yeah really and he talked about look. working with kelly <laughs> yeah like and how the best thing that ryan did was introducing kelly yeah and, like, it, it would be a really bad look yeah mm-hmm. definitely well let's hope to to more to more rose and and to have her character 
make some pretty, uh, take some pretty great actions in, in the rise of Skywalker. So you introduced her for a reason. So stick with it and hopefully we get her in the resistance. Uh, otherwise, do you guys have anything else that you wanted to add to today's episode on sequel trilogy themes? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we covered it all. We're both yeah. very excited <laughs> <laughs> and scared. Yeah, it was, I know I wasn't sure where this was going to go at first because at first it felt like a Raylo podcast. Then it felt like a Resistance <laughs> Season 2 preview <laughs> podcast. Then it went back to Redem- Bendemption. So, but again, those this are all like. This is just like all of our conversations. They just, yeah. that's how they evolve. That sounds yeah. like us. Yeah, that's literally us. Hey, you know <laughs> the what? The only thing we didn't talk about was Tom Holland. So. <laughs> now you brought it up. Now that you brought yeah, it up. He's a good boy. <laughs> this is a Tom Holland podcast now. No, but I, I am 1000 million percent behind every, every topic that we hit on today. And that's why I brought you guys on. Cause I knew you'd have a great perspective on this kind of thing. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that you joined me today. So for uh, people out there listening, where can they find you on Twitter or where can they listen to Lipsticks and Lightsabers? So you can find Lipstick and Lightsabers pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, it is presented by Network 1901. So if you go to network1901.com, you can find all of our episodes on there. You can also find everything that Network 1901 does, like we do YouTube videos and a couple of other podcasts. Um, we encourage you to send in your Star Wars story. Um, anybody out there listening, we really do want to hear from you. You can email us at lipsticklightsabers1901 at gmail.com. Um, and you can find me always on twitter i'm at mccarter shannon and i'm alex leonis and then our twitter handle is lip underscore lightsabers for the podcast perfect and alex does some pretty cool artwork so if for anything definitely go follow the the channel for that because i i get personally excited every time there's a new piece of artwork out (laughs) um the iden one this week was pretty cool yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah you also you know as an incentive to send in your story i do have swag I got to order more. Swag is good. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Awesome. Well, thank you two for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Always happy to have a a new friend of the force on the show. And you two are always welcome here. So whether or not you want to have a Tom Holland focused episode in the future, (laughs) always happy to have you on. I don't know how he's the perfect thing. Kyrell, he is the perfect thing, Kyrell. (laughs) It doesn't matter. I got to mention though, the fact that Chaos Walking is going to star Daisy Ridley and Tom oh, Holland yeah. is a yes. very good thing. And I'm very about it. Perfect Todd. We love those books. Those so, books are like, so good. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> I remember reading those books together and we were just Yeah, <laughs> we end. read them at the same time. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> awesome. They're so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for coming on the show and thank you all for listening today. Just remember, all is as the Force wills it. We're all friends of the Force here, and may the Force be with you always. Heeded my words not, did you? Pass on what you have learned. Strength, mastery, but weakness, folly, failure also. Yes, failure most of all. The greatest teacher failure is. We are what they grow beyond. That is the true burden of all masters.